Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey. Well, good morning. We're excited that you're joining us today. I remember talking uh, with Eve in the lobby when it was this idea of leading a group. Uh, she was like, Pastor Blake, I don't know how this is going to go for me. Uh, when I originally talked to her, she said, I only had one person sign up, kind of discouraged. And we encouraged each other. I said, hang in there. She ends up having five to six ladies join her group. And then now she's like, dude, groups all the way. And I'm like, man, that's God at work. And uh, that's just an exciting time of what God can do when you step out and lead. Some of us in this place might be like, you know what, I don't really want to lead. I just want to participate. And well, maybe there's not a group for me. Well, maybe it's time for you to lead a group. And I just want to encourage you, pray about that, explore that, and see how God moves and shapes your life. Well, coming up, April 17th is a big day. It is Easter. Whoa, whoa. Easter. I mean, I love Easter so much that we decided as a team this year, we got some yard signs. Like, woo! You know, that's what I'm talking about. It's like 9 and 11, our service time. Some of you might need to put that like in your room so you can like check that out, remember what time to show up. But we're going to do some fun things. Egg hunt, petting zoo, bounce houses, plus more. And the reason we do these kind of things at church, let me be crystal clear on the why, is because sometimes we know it can be challenging to invite people to church. We want to make it a a, a very uh, lack of better terminology. We want to eliminate deterrence. So someone says, hey, I might not come to church. Maybe they had a bad church experience, church hurt. But you can be like, hey, come to my church. We have petting zoos. You can pet a rabbit. They'd be like, cool. And then as I love to quote Billy Graham, he says this. He says, we do everything short of sinning to get people in the doors. And then we let the Holy Spirit punch them in the face with the gospel. And I'm like, yeah, let's go. That's my kind of guy. You know, so we're doing all sorts of things. I want to encourage you, grab an invite. But leading up to that as well is this. On April 6th and 13th, the first two Wednesdays of, uh, of, of April, we are going to begin everything in prayer. Prayer is what propels us forward. It's not the gimmicks, it's not the shreds, it's not the, the glitz and glamour and all that, it's prayer. As a church, we believe in the power of prayer. So we're gonna dedicate 10 minutes before our midweek service on April 6th and 13th to pray that God gives us encounters with people, divine conversations, a boldness, a tenacity to invite our neighbors, our coworkers, or friend to church on Easter Sunday. Maybe you don't come on a midweek service, that's fine. Schedules, we get it. We wanna encourage you, carve out time leading up to Easter and pray on who God can put in your life to say, hey, why don't you join me for Easter? And as a church, Easter, man, I can talk about Easter all day. But as a church, Easter is the greatest day in church history ever. Because it's when Jesus went to the grave, rose again, and we celebrate that throughout the Passion Week. So I want to encourage you, be praying about that. See how God's going to minister and work in your life there. Well, let's dive in. Her name was Agnes Ganjaboy Jeju. That's a loaded name right there. Uh, born in April, born on August 26, in 1910. 
She grew up in a community that was 90% Muslim. She lost her father when she was eight and was thrusted, and her and her family were thrusted into severe poverty. She remembers growing up and watching her mom come home from work and rather than her mom attending to the needs right there in her own house, her mom and went and took care of her neighbors, her, her people around us or people around her in the community and she'd go clean their houses. She would go provide food for them. She would do all these things and Agnes saw this firsthand generosity, these works of goodness. But then when she grew up, she started feeling this call of God on her life. And at age 12, she uh, decided to lean into her Catholic faith. She decided to become a, a, a nun. And then she boarded a boat and headed to India. There in India, she, she served in the medical center. She, she taught. And, and really, the premise of her life was to be a missionary to those in need. So she would oftentimes walk by children who were in the slums and, and she, would, she would teach them, she would wash them, she would show them genuine love and compassion and she would pour into their life. This lady that I'm talking about, her name was Mother Teresa. Many of you know her. She never went out with the idea, with the, with the platform. She never went out with the, uh, 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 the goal to be someone who is known, world-renowned. She never planned to meet Ronald Reagan. She never planned to be on BBC World News. She never planned to have the platform she was given. What she focused on was doing good in her community, doing good in what God called her to do. She's known to say this and, and be a person like this. She saw Jesus in everyone, and daily she expected to see a miracle. There's this one story when you read about her, uh, she was given this orphanage uh, kind of house to live in that happened to be a, a Hindu uh, old goddess temple. She was given the place and they renovated to meet the needs, needs in Calcutta. And when she's going through this scenario, this mob of, of Hindi people come and they're mad and they want this, this, this lady gone because she's speaking something that's so much different. It's polarizing in the community and she's doing things. She finds the leader of that mob and she says, come inside, come see what we're doing. Overwhelmed by the compassion, he came back outside of the place that was renovated to meet the need of the community, and he dispersed the mob. Mother Teresa lived a good life. She did good. She saw Jesus in everyone. One of her greatest quotes, she says, the greatest need in the world was for one to be loved. She did good. Today, I wanna to talk to you about this big idea is this Jesus-centered worship is everyday living. Jesus-centered worship is everyday living. In Hebrews chapter 13, we're gonna to touch on this verse again. We see three dimensions of our worship lifestyle. And verse 15 says this, Therefore, let us through Jesus, a continual, through Jesus, give a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. 
Continues on in verse 16. And don't forget, and now you see these words. They're, they're highlighted, they're orange. I need your help to make sure we're all on the same page. I need you to say it as loud as you can with me when we get there. And don't forget to... And share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. So we see the three dimensions of what it means to worship. One, to praise. We talked about that last week if you're with us. To sing songs. And I had a special shout out to the men in the room because sometimes when it comes to singing, we don't really want to sing. When I got up here and I played the keys, like, and I don't know how to play. So sometimes we have to stretch ourselves when it comes to the musical to audibly speak out what we believe in. So we talked about that last week. Today we want to talk about doing good, doing good. And that leads us in this morning's big issue, like I like to say. We have a wrong understanding of what it means to worship. Sometimes we think worship is when we show up to church and we sing some songs, then we leave church, we worship that week, and now it's all over. A lifestyle of worship is everyday living. It's saying, Jesus, you're in the center of my life. I'm going to live. I'm going to abide. I'm going to trust in you to see me through, and I'm going to honor you by doing good every day from the actions and the decisions that I make throughout that day. Now, sometimes we have these myths of worship, and I, I can relate. I remember growing up, uh, love, love, love my home church. But I remember there's like a certain dress code that I felt like I had to wear to go to my home church. Anybody you ever remember those days sometimes back in the day? Like I had my church shoes, my church slack, the long sleeve collared shirt. If you wore anything less than uh-oh, right? And so it became this kind of painted sequence in my mind, this understanding that, okay, this is what worship means. Then I show up to church and I would sing songs and now I worship. There's this idea that worship started and worship stopped. And one of the maybe most alarming kind of images in my mind when it came to this idea or myth of worship that a lot of us have gathered before is this. Worship was only for like a group of people. Wasn't maybe for everyone to participate in. And we have this understanding that worship is something that is put in this box that we do, that we pick and choose, that we go through, that we engage in when we feel like it when really a dimension of worship is how we live every day. You and I were created to worship God. Where that gets mixed up is when we're not living out that purpose, when we're not living out our reason of existence. So Jesus comes into this scene in John chapter 2, and it's very interesting uh, anytime, I, I've been looking at scriptures for years, grew up in a Christian home, went to Bible college, became a pastor, and uh, I loved every minute of it, but every time I look at scripture, there's something new that kind of pops out. And when I was prepping this week, what I found interesting is the, the cleansing of the temple. Now, there's actually said to maybe be two cleansings of the temple, and that's the portion of scripture we're going to look at. Now, one of the cleansing is when Jesus happens to have that moment in Passion Week, where he comes in, flips tables, scatters coins, disperses people, runs people out, and we'll look at that. And then the other is right here at the very beginning of John chapter 2. And here's why it's interesting, because Jesus gets done performing his first miracle, and then he goes into the temple of Jerusalem, and he causes a scene. Now, it's interesting when you look at that, because I don't know about you, but sometimes in the American culture, man, like, people have this tendency to paint Jesus as this man who's on this cloud that kind of just always smiled and 
the sun was glowing behind him. It's like, oh, right? But in this scene, Jesus is like flipping the tables. And he's like, I'm like, yeah, Jesus, you get it. You, oh, wait, he's probably speaking to me, flipping the tables in my life, right? So here we go. John chapter 2. But before I will get there, I just want to highlight this real quick. Worship is simply this for us all the captures, showing God honor and adoration and everything we do. So Jesus comes into the scene and he sees these individuals going by their everyday life, living normally, and he has something to say about it. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. Now, before we get there, I need your help. When you see a highlighted word, yell it back to me. In the temple area, he merchants selling cattle, sheep, doves for sacrifices. Now, this was a very, very important need because of temple worship, the sacrifices, the, the offerings that were required to be made. But what happens is the, the, the offerings that were required started to cloud the purpose of why they did what they did. And he continues, he also dealers at the tables exchanging foreign money. And that was a particular kind of silver that they would have to contribute to the Jewish temple. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers, coins over, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor and turned over the tables. Then going over to the people who sold the doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. This is going back to Psalm 69, a Psalm of David, prophetic word. But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you the authority to do this, show us the miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus replied, destroy the temple and in three days I will raise it up. What, they exclaimed, has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're gonna rebuild it in three days. But when Jesus said, this temple he meant his own body. That Jesus is the center of the reason. He is the why. He is the one who fills the void between us and God. He goes to the cross. That's why we celebrate Easter. And verse 23, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered. That one's always, even first service, everyone's like, oh yeah, what am I supposed to say? So let's try that again. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remember, there we go. And he had said this, that they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Group of people going through ordinary, everyday life. Jesus comes in the scene and he challenges them in their lifestyle of worship. So I want to give you four areas today to look at in your everyday worship. The first one is this. Everyday worship means this. We see what others overlook. We see what others overlook. Now, the purpose of the temple existed to worship God. That's why it was instituted. We see this through the Old Testament laws, through the book of Exodus and Leviticus and the days to come until Jesus comes in the scene and gives us the new why, the new reason. 
And so when these people are coming up to the temple, they're, they're there, they're, they're doing, they're seeing a need, they're meeting a need because people needed these kind of sacrifices. But what started to happen is they started to forget the purpose of why they were there in the first place. See, foreigners or people from different small towns would come to the temple to, to worship God, to, to pay their tribute, to do what was asked of them in their heritage. So they needed these kind of animals that they couldn't carry, they couldn't go with or, or travel with. And so what happens, they would go to these vendors. But these vendors started to become one, two, three, four, many, many vendors started to come. So people started to turn the temple into a place of business. See, Jesus is always interested in the why in our life. Why do we do what we do? Why do we worship God? Why are you showing up to church? Why are you singing songs? See, in a lot of our society, we treat the symptom, but not really look at the, the main issue, the why. See, Jesus is coming in this temple scene. He's saying, hey, you're living your life normally. You're going through the motions. You're doing these things, this, that, and the other. But I want to come back to the why. Why, vendors, are you here? See, when it comes to worshiping Jesus, it means we see what others don't. People have been going throughout hundreds of years, going through their daily lives in the temple, never to draw back to the main purpose. And Jesus comes in the scene and he says, see what's right before you? The temple is there to worship. We need to engage in that worshiping God. See, Jesus also saw through complacency. Jesus also saw past just going through a normal rhythm and routine. I think a, a lot of the issues that we face with don't just happen overnight, but it more becomes a almost, lack of better terminology, death by a thousand paper cuts. We just kind of get up and go to work. We get complacent in our marriages. We, we kind of take people for granted who are in our lives. We, we kind of just engage when we feel like it. And, and before we know it, we kind of become this complacency. That's what happens with Jesus. And he sees these people, they, they're overwhelmed with complacency. Where their lives are, they're, they're not worshiping God like they need to. They're not following scriptures like they're supposed to. They just kind of get wrapped up in the complacency side of life. But then Jesus also leans in and he says that there's this problem. The problem is that worship wasn't happening the way it was supposed to happen. They defiled it. So he just had to flip a table. He had to cause a scene in their life. So when I think of somebody like Mother Teresa, she went with the intent to impact right was before her, to do good in her life. That is worship. Everyday living, Jesus-centered worship. Is she doing, was she doing good? Yes. Lives are being changed. Then the platform came. See, Jesus, there's this other account when Jesus uh, uh, brushes shoulders with this man who happened to be blind. We see in John chapter 9, verses 1, it says, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It is not because of his own sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. See, when we're living in worship, when we're trying to do good, please God in our daily life, doesn't mean we're gonna live a perfect life, but it means I'm going with the intent that I'm gonna worship God by doing good, by the decisions I make, by the thoughts that I think I'm gonna do good. 
We start, like, we start thinking opposite counterculture and we want to do good now. We want to impact people now. People are before us, people who are with us, people who are in our sphere. We're not saying, hey, if I get over there, I'm going to chase that, then I'll do good. See, Mother Teresa, she never said, hey, if I get this certain platform, then I'll do good. She started doing good, acting in worship, living daily, in and out. I want to take care of the children that are right before me. Because of that, lives were forever impacted. People's lives were changed. As followers, we worship when we, over, when we see what's right before us and don't overlook the issue at hand. Number two for us is we trust Jesus. Worship means this. We trust Jesus to drive out what hinders our worship lifestyle. We trust Jesus to drive out what hinders our worship lifestyle. In verse 15, let me just highlight it again. Jesus made a whip with some ropes, chased them all out of the temple, and he drove out the sheep and the cattle, and he scattered the money changers, coins all over the floor, turned over the tables. Jesus made a scene. I want to be very clear when it comes to this. You and I aren't supposed to drive out the issues that someone else is facing. Sometimes we get that, uh, that rap in, in a community of believers. That, hey, I need to discuss that issue with that person. See, some of us face so many severely broken and bondage and, and issues. That's why they're here in Jerusalem, the Passover, from celebrating the, the deliverance of God from Egyptian slavery. But some of the only things, the only person that can really break some of our addictions, our struggles, our issues, is the encounter we have with Jesus. And I think we get in a trouble and a mix whenever we try to drive out what someone else is facing by our own willpower, by telling someone what they should do and how they should do it. There's times for coaching, but ultimately we have to come to an understanding that when someone has an encounter with Jesus, then their lives can change. It's not about you and me trying to have that encounter for them and hoping their lives are changed. I pray every day over my kids. And when I pray over my kids, this is what I'm praying. God, I pray that my children have an encounter with you that is so deeply rooted they will never run they will never stray that they will be for you they'll be with you they'll be about you and my hope as a parent is that i'm going to train them in the ways they know so they're going to get to church they're going to speak properly they're going to live their best lives they're going to abide by the rules in my household because he has they have bible believing parents some of us, when it comes to Jesus driving out some issues in our life, we have to go through some very loud scenes in our life. Imagine Jesus flipping over the money tables in the marketplace. Imagine Jesus being pretty loud, almost embarrassing these people. They're, they're chasing their coins all through the, the marketplace and saying, who is this guy? Sometimes it has to be painful. There's some scholars that believe that Jesus actually caught some people with the whip. I don't know if I would go that far, but the, the idea is there. That Jesus had a whip. He, he made it. People are seeing what's going on. And he's, you know, Indiana Jones style. You know? 
He's making it late. Sometimes for us to drive out what's hindering us in our relationship, we have to go through some loud scenes in our life. We have to go through some painful scenes in our life. And we even have to be faced with some monetary repercussions in our life. I have a buddy who's in business, and all the time when I talk to him, he's saying he is always being kind of pigeonholed or one way or another because of his thinking, his thought beliefs, and his faith where he has to make decisions based on his faith that are actually going to face repercussions from what he gets from the the money side of it. So sometimes Jesus puts something so alarming in our life to get us out of attention, to make sure that we're seeing, make sure that we're worshiping every day like we ought to be. Even the prophet Jeremiah in in chapter 4, verse 1, says, O Israel, says the Lord, if you wanted to return to me, you could. You could throw away your detestable idols and stray away no more. See, when we start worshiping Jesus to the best of our abilities and and saying, I'm going to choose Jesus over everything, Jesus starts making himself greater in our lives. And the things that are detestable in our lives start to shrink. They start to go a little, he starts to drive away our thinking, depression, anxiety. He starts to, to, to help us start knowing that we can trust him in situations where we don't know the outcome, knowing that at the most, his hand is on our lives. But we have to come to this understanding that everyday worship means we're gonna let Jesus do his work in us. It could be painful, it could be loud, There could even be money repercussions in that. Number three, everyday worship means this. We have a passion for God's church. We have a passion for God's church. John 2, 17, it says this. And then disciples remembered this prophecy from Scripture, and they quote David, and he says, passion for God's house will consume me. Now, I grew up with the whole WWJD bracelets, and so I even have like 20 of them and still rock them occasionally. What would Jesus do? So I always go back to this verse because there's kind of this thinking that's plighted the maybe church where I can live life apart from the church and still be a Christian. I'm like, well, that's not really what Jesus would do, right? Because what's it say right here? It says, Jesus was consumed with passion for God's church. God's people, what's taking place. See, the church is the tangible expression of God's love. The church is the tangible expression of who God is. Church, we're on mission, for mission, to be for our community so that we can be outward focused and inward changed. Like, that's, that's, that's why we exist. See, we come to these five concepts here in Acts chapter 2, what the the church holds. The the churches of fellowship, of discipleship, of praise and worship, of ministry and evangelism. We see this take place. Some people will be like, hey, Pastor Blake, uh, I've had this happen because if you're with us in Christmas, we had a hot cocoa bar, right? Like, it was cool. We had marshmallows, hot chocolate. I'm like, I'm walking through shaking hands and people are like, dude, this was a great idea. I'm like, yeah. It's awesome. Why? Because whenever you're eating food with somebody, you're like, hey, did, did you add the gummy bears? Because that's a little too much when it came to the hot chocolate bar. Or maybe when you put the peppermint stick in, ooh, that hot chocolate homemade, it was spot on. 
And sometimes when we have that fellowship and we're breaking bread with people, we're engaging in conversation. That's why we do what we do. That's why this year for our Easter services, we wanted to make the big celebration on Easter so we can have more opportunity to fellowship. Then we talk about discipleship. The church should always be pushing us, challenging us to evaluate, am I knowing and growing in God more? That's why we offer classes. That's why we say get involved in a group. That's why you hear testimonies and stories from Eve Matthews and numerous other people because the group is impactful. You're fellowshipping, you're discipleshipping. You're, you're growing in the Lord. Evangelism, I said at first service, maybe missed it earlier today, but this is what, if a church isn't gonna be evangelistic, it's gonna fossilize. See, we have to be always outward thinking and always saying, hey God, what do you want us to do on mission for mission? So it's the function of the church. So when Jesus is saying right here, and his disciples are referring, man, he has passion his passion for the local church. His passion to be evangelistic. He has passion for fellowship. He has passion for the community. He has passion for praise and worship. He has passion to see the ministry. I wanna encourage you, we have numerous areas you can serve and get involved in. Are you serving your local church? That's what it means to have passion. Everyday worship means I am a part of the local church. I tell people this all the time, and we're going to work together in the future. We pray that you love faith assembly as much as the team does and other people, but we also know that there's different churches for different styles of people, for different preferences. We're not concerned because we're kingdom-focused here. We're not concerned about our numbers here. We're concerned about God's kingdom numbers. So maybe you find a church that you love and you feel like you're growing and doing these things. That's awesome. Maybe that church is here. That's even better. But I want to encourage you, have a passion for God's local church. Make it a commitment to show up weekly. Make it a commitment to be a part. Make it a commitment to live like Jesus lived. See, Mark Levin says this, and he, he and the maybe different from scholar standpoint says this he said to them the scriptures declare my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations the purpose after God's heart that we reach people but you have turned it into a den of robbers see church as leadership in this church we are going to do our best to keep God's heart in this church always first and foremost being the driver of our church because we want to have passion like Jesus had passion I love what A.W. Tozer he says this I believe a local church exists to do corporately what each Christian believer should do individually and that is to worship God when it comes to our worship we're talking today about doing good are we doing good everyday worship means I'm connected with the church means I'm growing in God, means I'm leaning in to making good decisions. Number four, everyday worship means this. We remember what Jesus has done and what he promises to do. Everyday worship means we remember what Jesus has done and what his promises to do. You may be sitting in here and you might be questioning some things facing some serious uncertainty, having some doubt, 
you're questioning Jesus. Jesus, are you really the Lord and Savior? Jesus, are you really the person who you say you are? Now, this is a church Pastor Steph mentioned earlier, but this is a church where we can get honest and be real with some of those questions. Or maybe you're exploring that in your faith journey and you're questioning some real things. I want to encourage you, you're not alone. There's people like you who have some serious questions in life. Maybe you're here, you're trying to discover that for yourself. Who is Jesus to you? See, look, the disciples, they lacked buy-in. They question Jesus. Now, if you ever read scripture for some time and you're like, man, if I was a disciple and I lived tangibly with Jesus, I would never doubt Jesus in my life. The disciples, they doubted Jesus all the way until the point he was arrested. It says this in John 6, 50. Jesus gets arrested. They all deserted him and scattered. You remember that man by the name of Peter? Jesus tells him, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, no, I'm not. I would never do that. And what's he do? He denies him three times. But then the disciples bought in because this is what Jesus did. In John 2, 22, this verse is very captivating. It's as if the apostle John who wrote this gospel is sitting around recalling what is happening. He's older in age and he says this, after he was raised from the dead, so that's what Jesus did, that's what Jesus was going to do, his disciples remembered what he had said and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. It's almost as they're recalling the, the Jesus follow through. Jesus did what he said he was going to do. For that, we can always remember. For that, we can always celebrate. For that, we can always trust. You look later on in Acts, this man by the name of Peter who denied Jesus three times comes into Acts and he's teaching very passionately about Jesus and the saving grace he provides. And the authorities, they arrest him. Now Peter, at one point in his life, was going to run and say, nope, I don't want any of that. I don't know him. But then he has this audacity to stand firm because he bought in. He remembered that Jesus followed through with what Jesus was going to say and do. Everyday worship means this. We remember what Jesus has done and what he promises to do. See, Jesus get, or Peter gets to this point in Romans 12, 1, where he was willing to give his body as a living sacrifice. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Jesus-centered worship is everyday living. You'll see this picture on the screen. Uh, it's my little guy, Briar. Um, whenever I see this photo, um, my attention goes to the helmet. You're like, Pastor Blake, your kid wears a helmet. He did. 
This is back when, uh, I believe he's, I don't know, a year old, eight months, something like that. My wife knows like specific dates, times when she looks at one picture. I don't know if fellows can relate to that one. But when I see this picture, there's a promise behind that picture. Um, we went through a very hard time maybe a week ago before that picture. Lost everything, livelihood, kind of questioning our job, life, what we're going to do. This is the promise I had to anchor in. When I was first starting out ministry, this older lady, she came up to me. Her name is Miss Nikki. She was a, a volunteer. But she goes, Pastor Blake, they, keep in mind, there's four kids in our youth ministry. And she's like, you're going to be preaching to people. And I'm like, yeah, I am. I'm, I'm like preaching to four people right now. No, she's like, you're going to be preaching to people. And I'm like, preaching to people? Like, okay. She's like, yeah, you're going you're gonna to preach in different places. You're going to do different things. And she was kind of sharing this with me. And I was like, you know, sometimes you just kind of high five people and say, hey, love your thoughts. Thanks for sharing. And then as I'm singing in this, as I'm sitting in this moment recalling and I look at this picture and I see this helmet because our child had a massive head like their father, me. And the, the head was kind of misshaped and, and funny and like, and, and here's the thing, that was a $3,000 helmet. So the day before we don't have anything, we, you know, $3,000 when you're unemployed is a lot of money. And uh, we knew we had to do this for our child. So we, we cut the check, paid the bill. And we're, we're like, all right, God, we don't, we don't know what to do. And, and at that moment, when we're questioning things and knowing we had to handle a situation and seeing this, and I said, Britt, maybe we should just get out of the game. Like, is it worth it? Like doing this, is it, is it worth it? Like we're doing what God's called us to do and, and yet we're in this kind of situation? I don't know if that's worth it. Like if I, if I serve God, like, come on God, like, and at that moment I was questioning what God's placed in my life. The, the, the hardship, the, the moments, the, the uncertainty in our life. So when I see that helmet, we didn't have much. We know we're going through a hard time. I see this promise of Miss Nikki telling Blake, hang in there. You're going to be preaching to people. Things are going to be all right. Remember what Jesus has done for you and trust in the promises of what he will do. Some of you in here right now are going through some very hard times in your life. You're doing your best. You're, you're giving it up to Jesus. You're saying, Jesus, here I am. Jesus, take my life. Jesus, take the wheel. And you're questioning things and you're ready to bow out, throw in the towel, be done with it. 
But I want to encourage you, there's a promise of what our God has done and what he will do in our lives. This is what, we might not have all the answers right now, right in front of us, instant gratification, but what we do have is a God that's going to walk alongside us, build our character, help us to see and know what it means to truly worship him to do good despite what we face, to do good in a community that needs good, to do good to people who are down and out, who have every reason to not enjoy, not be in life, but we're gonna say, I'm gonna do good to that person. I'm gonna worship God at the actions I make, the thoughts I think, the decisions I make. So church, I wanna challenge you today to do good because that's worship. Remember the promises that Jesus has given us. Remember what Jesus has done so we can celebrate what he will continue to do in our lives. So I'm going to ask you to stand with us. We're going to sing a final closing song. No matter what has maybe taken place this past week, no matter what you've been faced with, your God is for you. Sometimes it's going to be a loud interruption, a painful time, but know this, man, we're called, we're wired up to worship our creator. And it's when we come to that understanding that, man, our life, our life, his hand is upon our life. So I'm going to close in prayer. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Our team's going to come up here and lead us through a chorus or two, and then We have some final remarks, but I just want to encourage you. Do good. Worship God. Because that's what we're called to do. Let's pray, church. God, we give you this time right now. We say thank you for giving us this opportunity to pursue you, to to worship you. I pray that you help us to do good because that is an act of worship that you've called. Jesus-centered living is, is all about worshiping you in our daily choices, my Lord and Savior. We pray for those who are making a decision by by saying that you you died on the cross, Lord, and that we believe that you raised your son from the grave and that you'll continue to conquer the disease and death and that we'll admit that we're not perfect people, but we know who is a perfect God. And for that, we can rest assured knowing that we love you, honor you, and you will always be with us. You'll never forsake your children. My God, be with us as we make decisions today. Be with us as we worship you. Be with us as we praise you in this moment. In your great name, we all say, amen. Let's sing, church. Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, we invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.